Dead Souls, Part Two, Chapter Three, Section Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dead Souls by Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol, translated by D. J. Hogarth, Part Two, Chapter Three, Section Two, read by Anna Simon. Half an hour's drive sufficed to bring him to the colonel's establishment. The village attached to the manor was in a state of utter confusion, since in every direction building and repairing operations were in progress, and the alleys were choked with heaps of lime, bricks, and beams of wood. Also some of the huts were arranged to resemble offices, and superscribed in gilt letters, depot for agricultural implements, chief office of accounts, estate works committee, normal school for the education of colonists, and so forth. Chichikov found the colonel posted behind a desk and holding a pen between his teeth. Without an instant's delay, the master of the establishment, who seemed a kindly, approachable man, and accorded to his visitor a very civil welcome, plunged into a recital of the labour which it had cost him to bring the property to its present condition of affluence. Then he went on to lament the fact that he could not make his peasantry understand the incentives to labour which the riches of science and art provide. For instance, he had failed to induce his female serfs to wear corsets, whereas in Germany, where he had resided for fourteen years, every humble miller's daughter could play the piano. Nonetheless, he said, he meant to peg away until every peasant on the estate should, as he walked behind the plough, indulge in a regular course of reading Franklin's notes on electricity, Virgil's Georgics, or some work on the chemical properties of soil. "'Good gracious!' mentally exclaimed Chichikov. "'Why, I myself have not had time to finish that book by the Duchess de la Vallière.' Much else the colonel said. In particular did he aver that, provided the Russian peasant could be induced to array himself in German costume, science would progress, trade increase, and the golden age dawn in Russia. For a while Chichikov listened with distended eyes. Then he felt constrained to intimate that, with all that, he had nothing to do, seeing that his business was merely to acquire a few souls, and thereafter to have their purchase confirmed. "'If I understand you are right,' said the colonel, "'you wish to present a statement of plea?' "'Yes, that is so.' "'Then kindly put it into writing, and it shall be forwarded to the office for the reception of reports and returns.' Thereafter that office will consider it, and return it to me, who will, in turn, dispatch it to the Estate Works Committee, who will, in turn, revise it, and present it to the Administrator, who, jointly with the Secretary, will— Pardon me, expostulated Tchikov, but that procedure will take up a great deal of time. Why need I put the matter into writing at all? It is simply this. I want a few souls which are—well, which are, so to speak, dead— very good commented the colonel do you write down in your statement of plea that the souls which you desire are so to speak dead but what would be the use of my doing so though the souls are dead my purpose requires that they should be represented as alive very good again commented the colonel do you write down in your statement that it is necessary or should you prefer an alternative phrase it is requested or it is desiderated or it is prayed that the souls be represented as alive. 
at all events without documentary process of that kind the matter cannot possibly be carried through also i will appoint a commissioner to guide you round the various offices and he sounded a bell whereupon there presented himself a man whom addressing as secretary the colonel instructed to summon the commissioner the latter on appearing was seen to have the air half of a peasant half of an official this man the colonel said to chichikov will act as your escort what could be done with a lunatic like koshkarev in the end curiosity moved chichikov to accompany the commissioner the committee for the reception of reports and returns was discovered to have put up its shutters and to have locked its doors for the reason that the director of the committee had been transferred to the newly formed committee of estate management and his successor had been annexed by the same committee next chichikov and his escort rapped at the doors of the department of estate affairs but that department's quarters happened to be in a state of repair and no one could be made to answer the summons save a drunken peasant from whom not a word of sense was to be extracted at length the escort felt himself moved to remark there is a deal of foolishness going on here fellows like that drunkard lead the baron by the nose and everything is ruled by the committee of management which takes men from their proper work and sets them to do any other it likes indeed only through the committee does anything get done by this time chichikov felt that he had seen enough wherefore he returned to the colonel and informed him that the office for the reception of reports and returns had ceased to exist at once the colonel flamed to noble rage pressing chichikov's hand in token of gratitude for the information which the guest had furnished he took paper and pen and noted eight searching questions under three separate headings one why has the committee of management presumed to issue orders to officials not under its jurisdiction two why has the chief manager permitted his predecessor though still in retention of his post to follow him to another department and three why has the committee of estate affairs suffered the office for the reception of reports and returns to lapse now for a row thought chichikov to himself and turned to depart but his host stopped him saying i cannot let you go for in addition to my honour having become involved it behoves me to show my people how the regular the organised administration of an estate may be conducted herewith i will hand over the conduct of your affair to a man who is worth all the rest of the staff put together and has had a university education also the better to lose no time may i humbly beg you to step into my library where you will find notebooks paper pens and everything else that you may require of these articles pray make full use for you are a gentleman of letters and it is your and my joint duty to bring enlightenment to all so saying he ushered his guest into a large room lined from floor to ceiling with books and stuffed specimens the books in question were divided into section a section on forestry a section on cattle breeding a section on the raising of swine and a section on horticulture together with special journals of the type circulated merely for the purpose of reference and not for general reading perceiving that these works were scarcely of a kind calculated to while away an idle hour chichikov turned to a second bookcase but to do so was to fall out of the frying-pan into the fire for the contents of the second bookcase proved to be works on philosophy while in particular six huge volumes confronted him under a label inscribed a preparatory course to the province of thought with a theory of community of effort cooperation and subsistence 
in its application to a right understanding of the organic principles of a mutual division of social productivity. Indeed, wheresoever Chichikov looked, every page presented to his vision some such words as phenomenon, development, abstract, constance, and synopsis. This is not the sort of thing for me, he murmured, and turned his attention to a third bookcase, which contained books on the arts. Extracting a huge tome in which some by no means reticent mythological illustrations were contained, he set himself to examine these pictures. They were of the kind which pleases mostly middle-aged bachelors and old men, who are accustomed to seek in the ballet and similar frivolities a further spur to their waning passions. Having concluded his examination, Chichikov had just extracted another volume of the same species when Colonel Koshkarev returned with a document of some sort and a radiant countenance. "'Everything has been carried through in due form,' he cried. "'The man whom I mentioned is a genius indeed, and I intend not only to promote him over the rest, but also to create for him a special department. Herewith shall you hear what a splendid intellect is his, and how in a few minutes he has put the whole affair in order.' "'May the Lord be thanked for that,' thought Chichikov. Then he settled himself, while the Colonel read aloud, "'After giving full consideration to the reference which Your Excellency has entrusted to me, I have the honour to report as follows. 1. In the statement of plea presented by one Paul Ivanovich Chichikov, gentleman, chevalier, and collegiate counsellor, there lurks an error in that an oversight has led the petitioner to apply to revisional souls the term dead. Now, from the context it would appear that by this term the petitioner desires to signify souls approaching death, rather than souls actually deceased, wherefore the term employed betrays such an empirical instruction in letters as must, beyond doubt, have been confined to the village school, seeing that in truth the soul is deathless. "'The rascal!' Koshkarev broke off to exclaim delightedly. "'He has got you there, Monsieur Chichikov.' and you will admit that he has a sufficiently incisive pen? 2. On this estate there exist no unmortgaged souls whatsoever, whether approaching death or otherwise, for the reason that all souls thereon have been pledged not only under a first deed of mortgage, but also, for the sum of 150 roubles per soul, under a second, the village of Gormalovka alone accepted, in that, in consequence of a suit having been brought against landowner Priyadishchev, and of a caveat having been pronounced by the land court, and of such caveat having been published in number 42 of the Gazette of Moscow, the said village has come within the jurisdiction of the court above mentioned. "'Why did you not tell me all this before?' cried Chichikov furiously. "'Why have you kept me dancing about for nothing?' because it was absolutely necessary that you should view the matter through forms of documentary process. This is no jest on my part. The inexperienced may see things subconsciously, yet it is imperative that he should also see them consciously. But to Chichikov's patience an end had come. Seizing his cap and casting all ceremony to the winds, he fled from the house and rushed through the courtyard. As it happened, the man who had driven him thither had, warned by experience, not troubled even to take out the horses, since he knew that such a proceeding would have entailed not only the presentation of a statement of plea for fodder, but also a delay of twenty-four hours until the resolution granting the same should have been passed. Nevertheless, the colonel pursued his guest to the gates, 
and pressed his hand warmly as he thanked him for having enabled him, the colonel, thus to exhibit in operation the proper management of an estate. Also, he begged to state that, under the circumstances, it was absolutely necessary to keep things moving and circulating, since, otherwise, slackness was apt to supervene, and the working of the machine to grow rusty and feeble but that, in spite of all, the present occasion had inspired him with a happy idea, namely, the idea of instituting a committee which should be entitled the Committee of Supervision of the Committee of Management, and which should have for its function the detection of backsliders among the body first mentioned. It was late when, tired and dissatisfied, Chichikov regained Kostanjoglo's mansion. Indeed, the candles had long been lit. "'What has delayed you?' asked the master of the house, as Chichikov entered the drawing-room. "'Yes, what has kept you and the colonel so long in conversation together?' added Platon. "'This, the fact that never in my life have I come across such an imbecile,' was Chichikov's reply. "'Never mind,' said Kostanjoglo. "'Koshkarev is a most reassuring phenomenon. He is necessary, in that in him we see expressed in caricature all the more crying follies of our intellectuals.' of the intellectuals who, without first troubling to make themselves acquainted with their own country, borrow silliness from abroad. Yet that is how certain of our landowners are now carrying on. They have set up offices, and factories, and schools, and commissions, and the devil knows what else besides. A fine lot of wiseacres. After the French war in 1812 they had to reconstruct their affairs, and see how they have done it. Yet so much worse have they done it than a Frenchman would have done than any fool of a Peter Petrovich Piatuk now ranks as a good landowner. "'But he has mortgaged the whole of his estate,' remarked Chichikov. "'Yes, nowadays everything is being mortgaged, or is going to be.' This said, Kostanjoglo's temper rose still further. "'Out upon your factories of hats and candles!' he cried. "'Out upon procuring candle-makers from London, and then turning landowners into hucksters! To think of a Russian pomieschik a member of the noblest of callings, conducting workshops and cotton-mills. Why, it is for the wenches of towns to handle looms for muslin and lace. "'But you yourself maintain workshops,' remarked Platon. "'I do. But who established them? They established themselves. For instance, wool had accumulated, and since I had nowhere to store it, I began to weave it into cloth. But mark you, only into good, plain cloth, of which I can dispose at a cheap rate in the local markets, and which is needed by peasants, including my own. Again, for six years on end did the fish factories keep dumping their offal on my bank of the river, wherefore, at last, as there was nothing to be done with it, I took to boiling it into glue, and cleared forty thousand roubles by the process. The devil, thought Chichikov to himself, as he stared at his host, what a fist this man has for making money. Another reason why I started those factories, continued Kostanzoglo, is that they might give employment to many peasants who would otherwise have starved. You see, the year happened to have been a lean one, thanks to those same industry-mongering landowners, in that they had neglected to sow their crops, and now my factories keep growing at the rate of a factory a year, owing to the circumstance that such quantities of remnants and cuttings become so accumulated that, if a man looks carefully to his management, he will find every sort of rubbish to be capable of bringing in a return. Yes, to the point of his having to reject money, on the plea that he has no need of it. Yet I do not find that, to do all this, I require to build a mansion with facades and pillars. 
Marvellous! exclaimed Chichikov. Beyond all things does it surprise me that refuse can be so utilized. Yes, and that is what can be done by simple methods. But nowadays everyone is a mechanic and wants to open that money chest with an instrument instead of simply. For that purpose he hires him to England. Yes, that is the thing to do. What folly! Kostanjoglo spat and added, Yet when he returns from abroad he is a hundred times more ignorant than when he went. Ah, Constantine, put in his wife anxiously, you know how bad for you it is to talk like this. Yes, but how am I to help losing my temper? The thing touches me too closely, it vexes me too deeply, to think that the Russian character should be degenerating. For in that character there has dawned a sort of quixotism which never used to be there. Yes, no sooner does a man get a little education into his head than he becomes a Don Quixote, and establishes schools on his estate such as even a madman would never have dreamt of, and from that school there issues a workman who is good for nothing, whether in the country or in the town, a fellow who drinks and is forever standing on his dignity. Yet still our landowners keep taking to philanthropy, to converting themselves into philanthropic knights-errant, and spending millions upon senseless hospitals and institutions, and so ruining themselves and turning their families adrift, Yes, that is all that comes of philanthropy. Chichikov's business had nothing to do with the spread of enlightenment. He was but seeking an opportunity to inquire further concerning the putting of refuse to lucrative uses. But Kostanjoglo would not let him get a word in edgeways, so irresistibly did the flow of sarcastic comment pour from the speaker's lips. Yes, went on Kostanjoglo, folk are always scheming to educate the peasant, but first make him well off and a good farmer. Then he will educate himself fast enough. As things are now, the world has grown stupid to a degree that passes belief. Look at the stuff our present-day scribblers write. Let any sort of a book be published, and at once you'll see every one making a rush for it. Similarly will you find folk saying, The peasant leads an over-simple life. He ought to be familiarized with luxuries, and so led to yearn for things above his station." and the result of such luxuries will be that the peasant will become a rag rather than a man, and suffer from the devil only knows what diseases, until there will remain in the land not a boy of eighteen who will not have experienced the whole gamut of them, and found himself left with not a tooth in his jaws or a hair on his pate. Yes, that is what will come of infecting the peasant with such rubbish. But, thank God, there is still one healthy class left to us, a class which has never taken up with the advantages of which I speak. For that we ought to be grateful. And since even yet the Russian agriculturist remains the most respect-worthy man in the land, why should he be touched? Would to God every one were an agriculturist! Then you believe agriculture to be the most profitable of occupations, said Chichikov. The best, at all events, if not the most profitable. In the sweat of thy brow shalt thou till the land. To quote that, requires no great wisdom, for the experience of ages has shown us that, in the agricultural calling, man has ever remained more moral, more pure, more noble than any other. Of course I do not mean to imply that no other calling ought to be practised, simply that the calling in question lies at the root of all the rest. However much factories may be established privately or by the law, there will still lie ready to a man's hand all that he needs, he will still require none of those amenities which are sapping the vitality of our present-day folk, 
nor any of those industrial establishments which make their profit and keep themselves going by causing foolish measures to be adopted which in the end are bound to deprave and corrupt our unfortunate masses i myself am determined never to establish any manufacture however profitable which will give rise to a demand for higher things such as sugar and tobacco no not if i lose a million by my refusing to do so if corruption must overtake the mir it shall not be through my hands and i think that god will justify me in my resolve twenty years have i lived among the common folk and i know what will inevitably come of such things but what surprises me most persisted chichikov is that from refuse it should be possible with good management to make such an immensity of profit and as for political economy continued kostanjoglo without noticing him and with his face charged with bilious sarcasm as for political economy it is a fine thing indeed just one fool sitting on another fool's back and flogging him along even though the rider can see no further than his own nose yet into the saddle will that fool climb spectacles and all oh the folly the folly of such things and the speaker spat derisively that may be true said his wife yet you must not get angry about it surely one can speak on such subjects without losing one's temper as i listen to you most worthy constantine thedorovitch chichikov hastened to remark it becomes plain to me that you have penetrated into the meaning of life and laid your finger upon the essential root of the matter yet supposing for a moment we leave the affairs of humanity in general and turn our attention to a purely individual affair might i ask you how in the case of a man becoming a landowner and having a mind to grow wealthy as quickly as possible in order that he may fulfil his bounden obligations as a citizen he can best set about it how he can best set about growing wealthy repeated kostanjoglo why let us go to supper interrupted the lady of the house rising from her chair and moving towards the centre of the room where she wrapped her shivering young form in a shawl chichikov sprang up with the alacrity of a military man offered her his arm and escorted her as on parade to the dining-room where awaiting them there was the soup tureen from it the lid had just been removed and the room was redolent of the fragrant odour of early spring-roots and herbs the company took their seats and at once the servants placed the remainder of the dishes under covers upon the table and withdrew for kostanjoglo hated to have servants listening to their employer's conversation and objected still more to their staring at him all the while that he was eating when the soup had been consumed and glasses of an excellent vintage resembling hungarian wine had been poured out chichikov said to his host most worthy sir allow me once more to direct your attention to the subject of which we were speaking at the point when the conversation became interrupted you will remember that i was asking you how best a man can set about proceed in the matter of growing note here from the original two pages are missing End note. a property for which had he asked forty thousand i should still have demanded a reduction hmm thought chichikov then added aloud but why do you not purchase it yourself because to everything there must be assigned a limit already my property keeps me sufficiently employed moreover i should cause our local dvorian to begin crying out in chorus that i am exploiting their extremities their ruined position for the purpose of acquiring land for under its value of that i am wary how readily folks speak evil 
exclaimed Chichikov. Yes, and the amount of evil speaking in our province surpasses belief. Never will you hear my name mentioned without my being called also a miser and a usurer of the worst possible sort, whereas my accusers justify themselves in everything and say that, though we have wasted our money, we have started the demand for the higher amenities of life, and therefore encouraged industry with our wastefulness, a far better way of doing things than that practised by Kostanjoklo, who lives like a pig. Would I could live in your piggish fashion, ejaculated Chichikov, and so forth and so forth. Yet what are the higher amenities of life? What good can they do to anyone? Even if a landowner of the day sets up a library, he never looks at a single book in it, but soon relapses into card-playing, the usual pursuit. Yet folk call me names simply because I do not waste my means upon the giving of dinners. One reason why I do not give such dinners is that they weary me and another reason is that I am not used to them. But come you to my house for the purpose of taking pot-luck, and I shall be delighted to see you. Also, folk foolishly say that I lend money on interest, whereas the truth is that if you should come to me when you are really in need, and should explain to me openly how you propose to employ my money, and I should perceive that you are proposing to use that money wisely, and that you are really likely to profit thereby, well, in that case, you would find me ready to lend you all that you might ask without interest at all. That is a thing which it is well to know, reflected Chichikov. Yes, repeated Kostanjoglo, under those circumstances I should never refuse you my assistance. But I do object to throwing my money to the winds. Pardon me for expressing myself so plainly. To think of lending money to a man who is merely devising a dinner for his mistress, or planning to furnish his house like a lunatic, or thinking of taking his paramour to a masked ball, or a jubilee in honour of someone who had better never have been born. And, spitting, he came near to venting some expression which would scarcely have been becoming in the presence of his wife. Over his face the dark shadow of hypochondria had cast a cloud, and furrows had formed on his brow and temples, and his every gesture bespoke the influence of a hot, nervous rancour but allow me once more to direct your attention to the subject of our recently interrupted conversation persisted chichikov as he sipped a glass of excellent raspberry wine that is to say supposing i were to acquire the property which you have been good enough to bring to my notice how long would it take me to grow rich that would depend on yourself replied kostanjoglo with grim abruptness and evident ill-humour you might either grow rich quickly or you might never grow rich at all if you made up your mind to grow rich, sooner or later you would find yourself a wealthy man. "'Indeed!' ejaculated Chichikov. "'Yes,' replied Kostanjoglo, as sharply as though he were angry with Chichikov. "'You would merely need to be fond of work, otherwise you would affect nothing. The main thing is to like looking after your property. Believe me, you would never grow weary of doing so. People would have it that life in the country is dull.' whereas if I were to spend a single day as it is spent by some folk, with their stupid clubs and their restaurants and their theatres, I should die of ennui. The fools, the idiots, the generations of blind dullards. But the landowner never finds the days wearisome. He has not the time. In his life not a moment remains unoccupied. It is full to the brim. And with it all goes an endless variety of occupations. And what occupations? Occupations which generally uplift the soul, seeing that the landowner walks with nature and the seasons of the year, and takes part in, and is intimate with, everything which is evolved by creation. For let us look at the round of the year's labours. 
even before spring has arrived there will have begun a general watching and a waiting for it, and a preparing for sowing, and an apportioning of crops, and a measuring of seed-grain by buyers, and drying of seed, and a dividing of the workers into teams. For everything needs to be examined beforehand, and calculations must be made at the very start. And as soon as ever the ice shall have melted, and the rivers be flowing, and the land have dried sufficiently to be workable, the spade will begin its task in kitchen and flower-garden, and plough and harrow their tasks in the field, until everywhere there will be tilling and sowing and planting. And do you understand what some of that labour will mean? It will mean that the harvest is being sown, that the welfare of the world is being sown, that the food of millions is being put into the earth, and thereafter will come summer, the season of reaping, endless reaping, for suddenly the crops will have ripened, and rye-sheaf will be lying heaped upon rye-sheaf, with, elsewhere, stocks of barley, and of oats, and of wheat, and everything will be teeming with life, and not a moment will there need to be lost, seeing that, had you even twenty eyes, you would have need for them all, and after the harvest festivities there will be grain to be carted to bar, or stacked in ricks, and stores to be prepared for the winter, and storehouses and kilns and cattle-sheds to be cleaned for the same purpose, and the women to be assigned their tasks, and the totals of everything to be calculated, so that one may see the value of what has been done. And lastly will come winter, when in every threshing floor the flail will be working, and the grain, when threshed, will need to be carried from barn to bin, and the mills required to be seen to, and the estate factories to be inspected and the workmen's huts to be visited for the purpose of ascertaining how the mujik is faring. For, given a carpenter who is clever with his tools, I, for one, am only too glad to spend an hour or two in his company, so cheering to me is labour. And if, in addition, one discerns the end to which everything is moving, and the manner in which the things of earth are everywhere multiplying and multiplying, and bringing forth more and more fruit to one's profiting, I cannot adequately express what takes place in a man's soul, and that, not because of the growth in his wealth, money is money and no more, but because he will feel that everything is the work of his own hands, and that he has been the cause of everything, and its creator, and that from him, as from a magician, there has flowed bounty and goodness for all. In what other calling will you find such delights in prospect? As he spoke, Kostanjoglo raised his face, and it became clear that the wrinkles had fled from it, and that, like the Tsar on the solemn day of his crowning, Kosanjoglo's whole form was diffusing light, and his features had in them a gentle radiance. "'In all the world,' he repeated, "'you will find no joys like these, for herein man imitates the God who protected creation as a supreme happiness, and now demands of man that he, too, should act as the creator of prosperity. Yet there are folk who call such functions tedious.' Kostanjoglo's mellifluous periods fell upon Chichikov's ear like the notes of a bird of paradise. From time to time he gulped, and his softened eyes expressed the pleasure which it gave him to listen. "'Constantine, it is time to leave the table,' said the lady of the house, rising from her seat. Everyone followed her example, and Chichikov once again acted as his hostess' escort, although with less dexterity of deportment than before, owing to the fact that this time his thoughts were occupied with more essential matters of procedure. "'In spite of what you say,' remarked Platon, as he walked behind the pair, "'I, for my part, find these things wearisome.' 
But the master of the house paid no attention to his remark, for he was reflecting that his guest was no fool, but a man of serious thought and speech who did not take things lightly, and, with the thought, Kostanjoglo grew lighter in soul, as though he had warmed himself with his own words, and were exulting in the fact that he had found someone capable of listening to good advice. When they had settled themselves in the cosy, candle-lighted drawing-room, with its balcony and the glass door opening out into the garden, a door through which the stars could be seen glittering amid the slumbering tops of the trees, Chichikov felt more comfortable than he had done for many a day past. It was as though, after long journeying, his own roof-tree had received him once more, had received him when his quest had been accomplished, when all that he wished for had been gained, when his travelling staff had been laid aside with the words, It is finished. And of this seductive frame of mind, the true source had been the eloquent discourse of his hospitable host. Yes, for every man there exist certain things which, instantly that they are said, seem to touch him more closely, more intimately, than anything has done before. Nor is it an uncommon occurrence that in the most unexpected fashion, and in the most retired of retreats, one will suddenly come face to face with a man whose burning periods will lead one to forget oneself, and the tracklessness of the rout, and the discomfort of one's nightly halting-places, and the futility of crazes, and the falseness of tricks by which one human being deceives another. And at once there will become engraven upon one's memory, vividly and for all time, the evening thus spent, and of that evening one's remembrance will hold true, both as to who was present, and where each such person sat, and what he or she was wearing, and what the walls and the stove and other trifling features of the room looked like. In the same way did Chichikov note each detail that evening, both the appointments of the agreeable but not luxuriously furnished room, and the good-humoured expression which reigned on the face of the thoughtful host, and the design of the curtains, and the amber-mounted pipe smoked by Platon, and the way in which he kept puffing smoke into the fat jowl of the dog Yarb, and the sneeze which, on each such occasion, Yarb vented, and the laughter of the pleasant-faced hostess, though always followed by the words, "'Pray do not tease him any more,' and the cheerful candlelight, and the cricket chirping in a corner, and the glass door, and the spring night which, laying its elbows upon the treetops, and spangled with stars, and vocal with the nightingales which were pouring forth warbled ditties from the recesses of the foliage, kept glancing through the door, and regarding the company within. "'How it delights me to hear your words, good Konstantin Theodorovitch,' said Chichikov. "'Indeed, nowhere in Russia have I met with a man of equal intellect.' Kostanzoklo smiled, while realising that the compliment was scarcely deserved. "'If you want a man of genuine intellect,' he said, "'I can tell you of one. He is a man whose boot-soles are worth more than my whole body.' "'Who may he be?' asked Chichikov in astonishment. "'Murazov, our local commissioner of taxes.' "'Ah, I've heard of him before,' remarked Chichikov. "'He is a man who, were he not the director of an estate, might well be a director of the empire, and were the empire under my direction, I should at once appoint him my minister of finance.' "'I have heard tales beyond belief concerning him. "'For instance, that he has acquired ten million roubles.' Ten, More than forty. "'Soon half Russia will be in his hands.' "'You don't say so,' cried Chichikov in amazement. "'Yes, certainly. 
the man who has only a hundred thousand roubles to work with grows rich but slowly, whereas he who has millions at his disposal can operate over a greater radius, and so back whatsoever he understakes with twice or thrice the money which can be brought against him. Consequently, his field becomes so spacious that he ends by having no rivals. Yes, no one can compete with him, and whatsoever price he may fix for a given commodity, at that price it will have to remain, nor will any man be able to outbid it. "'My God!' muttered Chichikov, crossing himself, and staring at Kostanjoglo with his breath catching in his throat. "'The mind cannot grasp it. It petrifies one's thoughts with awe. You see folk marvelling at what science has achieved in the matter of investigating the habits of cowbugs, but to me it is a far more marvellous thing that in the hands of a single mortal there can become accumulated such gigantic sums of money. But may I ask whether the great fortune of which you speak has been acquired through honest means? Yes, through means of the most irreproachable kind, through the most honourable of methods. Yet so improbable does it seem that I can scarcely believe it. Thousands I could understand— but millions on the contrary to make thousands honestly is a far more difficult matter than to make millions millions are easily come by for a millionaire has no need to resort to crooked ways the way lies straight before him and he needs but to annex whatsoever he comes across no rival will spring up to oppose him for no rival will be sufficiently strong and since the millionaire can operate over an extensive radius he can bring as i have said two or three roubles to bear upon any one else's one. Consequently, what interest will he derive from a thousand roubles? Why, ten or twenty per cent at the least! And it is beyond measure marvellous that the whole should have started from a single kopeck. Had it started otherwise, the thing could never have been done at all. Such is the normal cause. He who is born with thousands, and is brought up to thousands, will never acquire a single kopeck more for he will have been set up with the amenities of life in advance, and so never come to stand in need of anything. It is necessary to begin from the beginning rather than from the middle, from a kopeck rather than from a rouble, from the bottom rather than from the top, for only thus will a man get to know the men and conditions among which his career will have to be carved, that is to say, through encountering the rough and the tumble of life, and through learning that every kopeck has to be beaten out with a three-kopeck nail, and through worsting knave after knave, he will acquire such a degree of perspicuity and wariness that he will err in nothing which he may tackle, and never come to ruin. Believe me, it is so. The beginning, and not the middle, is the right starting point. No one who comes to me and says, Give me a hundred thousand roubles, and I will grow rich in no time, do I believe, for he is likely to meet with failure rather than with the success of which he is so assured. Tis with a kopeck, and with the kopeck only, that a man must begin. "'If that is so, I shall grow rich,' said Chichikov, involuntarily remembering the dead souls. "'For of a surety, I began with nothing.' "'Constantine, pray allow Paul Ivanovitch to retire to rest,' put in the lady of the house. "'It is high time, and I am sure you have talked enough.' "'Yes, beyond a doubt you will grow rich,' continued Kostanjoglo, without heeding his wife." for towards you they will run rivers and rivers of gold, until you will not know what to do with all your gains. As though spellbound, Chichikov sat in an aureate world of ever-growing dreams and fantasies. All his thoughts were in a whirl, 
and on a carpet of future wealth his tumultuous imagination was weaving golden patterns while ever in his ears were ringing the words towards you there will run rivers and rivers of gold really constantine do allow paul ivanovitch to go to bed what on earth is the matter retorted the master of the household testily pray go yourself if you wish to then he stopped short for the snoring of platon was filling the whole room and also outrivaling it that of the dog yarb this caused kostanzoklo to realize that bedtime really had arrived wherefore after he had shaken platon out of his slumbers and bidden chichikov good-night all dispersed to their several chambers and became plunged in sleep all that is to say except chichikov whose thoughts remained wakeful and who kept wondering and wondering how best he could become the owner not of a fictitious but of a real estate the conversation with his host had made everything clear had made the possibility of his acquiring riches manifest had made the difficult art of estate management at once easy and understandable until it would seem as though particularly was his nature adapted for mastering the art in question all that he would need to do would be to mortgage the dead souls and then to set up a genuine establishment already he saw himself acting and administering as kostanjoglo had advised him energetically and through personal oversight and undertaking nothing new until the old had been thoroughly learned and viewing everything with his own eyes and making himself familiar with each member of his peasantry and abjuring all superfluities and giving himself up to hard work and husbandry yes already could he taste the pleasure which would be his when he had built up a complete industrial organization and the springs of the industrial machine were in vigorous working order and each had become able to reinforce the other labor should be kept in active operation and even as in a mill flour comes flowing from grain so should cash and yet more cash come flowing from every atom of refuge and remnant and all the while he could see before him the landowner who was one of the leading men in russia and for whom he had conceived such an unbounded respect hitherto only for rank or for opulence had chichikov respected a man never for mere intellectual power but now he made a first exception in favour of kostanjoglo seeing that he felt that nothing undertaken by his host could possibly come to naught and another project which was occupying chichikov's mind was the project of purchasing the estate of a certain landowner named Klovev. Already Chichikov had at his disposal ten thousand roubles, and a further fifteen thousand he would try and borrow of Kostanjoglo, seeing that the latter had himself said that he was prepared to help anyone who really desired to grow rich, while, as for the remainder, he would either raise the sum by mortgaging the estate, or force Klovev to wait for it just to tell him to resort to the courts if such might be his pleasure long did our hero ponder the scheme until at length the slumber which had these four hours past been holding the rest of the household in its embraces enfolded also chichikov and he sank into oblivion end of part two chapter three